Thanksgiving. For some of us, the holiday brings to mind laughter with cousins, a feast of juicy turkey and tart cranberry sauce, pie spiced to perfection and topped with a hefty dollop of fresh whipped cream. For many of us, the day is a bit more complicated. Maybe family friction dominates your thoughts or grief over mothers and uncles and grandfathers no longer present at the table. Perhaps, like me, physical distance makes it difficult to eat with the ones you love. Or maybe you just can't forget the scent of last year's burned bird filling the kitchen and permeating all of the side dishes and the desserts too. It's possible you're questioning the honesty of the story we tell on this day. One of mutual care and conviviality between the colonists and indigenous people. What really went down at that first Thanksgiving feast, you might be asking? And is it something that we need to celebrate at all? I'll admit, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday in all of its complexity. I'm excited to tell you why. Welcome to Kitchen Meditations, a weekly podcast from Edible Theology where we examine the ways God meets us in the kitchen and at the table. I'm your host, Kendall Vanderslice. If you're hungry for a taste of God's hope and healing in the mundane tasks of your everyday life, then you've come to the right place. May these meditations bring you a bit of grounding as you prepare to eat today and every day. Let's get started with a little spiritual mise en place, a prayer to ground and orient ourselves before we begin. In the restaurant kitchen, mise en place describes the process of preparing your workspace for the dishes you'll make. It involves gathering your ingredients and skimming the recipe all the way through so you don't realize halfway in that the bird needed an overnight brine in order to prevent it from drying out and frying to a crisp. I like to think of mise en place as a time to prepare my own mind and body as well, asking God to be present with me as I cook or as I bake. Our spiritual mise en place today is drawn from the Eucharist Rite to Liturgy in the Book of Common Prayer, which is the Anglican or Episcopal prayer book. Close your eyes, slow your breathing, and now as you breathe, repeat with me. Inhale. You have fed us with spiritual food. And as you exhale, now send us out in peace. A few years ago, I took a trip to San Francisco with a group of undergraduates. I was the teaching assistant for a cohort of students who were imagining the future of food. To imagine the future of food, we had to hold it together with the history of agriculture. And what better way to do that than travel around a part of the country where both past and possibility intermingle? We spent one day of the trip touring a farm designed to teach the story of the land. Wandering the aisles of an herb garden, we read plaque after plaque 
describing the land management practices of the Amamutsan people, the indigenous people that were native to that area. We read about their knowledge of the soil, their knowledge of native plants, and the symbiotic relationship that they practiced between humans and animals and crops. As we neared the end of the garden, the tone of the plaques changed. They described the introduction of Christian missionaries, the ways the land was stolen, children were kidnapped, and the stewards of the soil were forced to convert or else face a violent end. I found myself praying as I read about my own spiritual ancestors, these people who seemed to really misunderstand the faith that I love. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. I recite this prayer of confession almost every day. It's part of the morning prayer liturgy in the Book of Common Prayer, that same book that we used for our opening breath prayer today. You might know the words of this prayer too. Maybe its rhythms are as ingrained in you as they are in me. Or maybe the idea of a written prayer, especially a written prayer of confession, is brand new to you. In my tradition, we also recite this prayer together each Sunday as we prepare to receive communion, or what some call the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving. This Sunday morning Thanksgiving meal of bread and wine unites us to people throughout history who remember Christ's death and resurrection in the same way. It's a way of telling the story again and again of the forgiveness offered by Christ and committing ourselves again and again to live as though the kingdom of heaven is here now. But before we share this Sunday Thanksgiving meal, we begin with the prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we say together, we confess that we have sinned. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. All kinds of meals tell stories. Think about the Jewish Seder. Each item of the meal helps to tell the story of God's deliverance of the Israelites from captivity. If you live in the American South, you might be familiar with the tradition of a groom's cake, a second wedding cake that tells the story of the groom's hobbies or interests. Or maybe you have a favorite dinner that you eat every year on your birthday because your mom made it for you when you were little. The tradition holds with it a small story about your childhood. Sometimes these meals and their stories help us remember a history we don't want to forget. Sometimes they help us rewrite a history that we would prefer to remember in a more positive light. A month after that San Francisco trip with my students, I gave their final class lecture before Thanksgiving break. It was on the history of the Thanksgiving holiday. 
Did you know that Thanksgiving was actually made an official holiday near the end of the Civil War? Yep, that's two centuries after the first Thanksgiving is said to have happened. The goal was to tell a story of a unified past in order to project a hope for a unified future. By rewriting history in a more positive light, the idea was that Americans could strive to live into the story that they wanted to be true. One of my students responded halfway through the lecture, I don't want to go home and celebrate anymore. Others chimed in, Yeah, it it feels so wrong. I challenged them, Is the problem the holiday itself? Is it the story that we aspire to? Or is the problem that we aren't quite honest about how we've gotten here? When we pray the prayer of confession each Sunday morning before the Eucharist, we acknowledge together the mm, less-than-savory history of Christian tradition. We tell an honest story about ourselves, about our ability to hurt others, about our need for God's forgiveness and God's assistance to live another way. Then we eat a meal that's been shared by Christians throughout all of history. And we recognize that we live in the wake of both their faithfulness and their harm. But when we tell this honest story about our need for salvation and healing, then we get to celebrate and thank God for the gift of forgiveness found in Christ. We share thanksgiving for God's provision for us, for God's provision for the people we've hurt, and also God's provision for the people who have hurt us. And then we commit each week to work towards writing the story that we want to be true, one of love and healing and care for our neighbors with God's help. Near the end of that pre-Thanksgiving class period, an international student spoke up. I remember the first American Thanksgiving I had. We had turkey and pumpkin pie, and we also had tamales and pho because it was a bunch of international folks. She laughed. Another student, a first-generation American, shared their experience of Thanksgiving, too. Our neighbors used to invite us over each year, and it made us feel like we belonged here. Like we were true Americans now that we celebrated Thanksgiving. One by one, more students added their own stories of Thanksgiving the ways that this meal shaped their communities back home. We can tell an honest story about where our country has been. We can recognize that the first Thanksgiving was not quite as rosy as Indians and pilgrims holding hands and smiling around a table. We can acknowledge the truth, that the colonists shared smallpox with the Wampanoag while gleaning their wisdom about how to care for the land and building political treaties that would get ignored. If you are a Christian like me, you and I can recognize that a desire to share God's good news got mingled together with a hunger for power and domination too. We can lament the brutal reality of this past, and we can grieve the many ways that our indigenous neighbors still experience its ramifications. Then out of that honest story, we can commit to live into the story that we want to be true, 
to be a people who celebrate the image of God in others, who learn from the wisdom of those that look or speak or garden or eat differently than we do, to be a people who seek the well-being of all of God's creation. We can share turkey and stuffing and green bean casserole. Personally, I am partial to the kind with French fried onions on top. And we can pray that out of this meal, God will shape us into a people that love our neighbors as ourselves, that create space at the table for the full scope of our stories. And we can pray that God's love will be made known through our peace and healing and joy. And maybe through our rolls in pumpkin pie, too. Confession, then thanksgiving, then a commitment to change. Feed us with spiritual food, we ask of God. Then send us out in peace to love and serve the world. We'll get to our kitchen tip in just a moment, but I want to take a quick break to tell you more about the Edible Theology Project. Edible Theology is an educational media nonprofit that uses storytelling about food to facilitate hard conversations around the table. We're currently fundraising to launch a suite of new programs that address the polarization and isolation that are wreaking havoc on our world. As a thank you to all of our donors, we've created a guide to hosting hard conversations around the holiday table for anyone who gives a donation of $25 or more. The guide contains a collection of prayers, discussion prompts, and an after-gathering reflection so that you can get the most out of your time with family and friends this holiday season. It's just a small taste of what's to come. When you plan your year-end giving this year, be sure to include a tax-deductible donation to the Edible Theology Project. Visit www.edibletheology.com donate to give today. Again, that's www.edibletheology.com donate. Our kitchen tip today is for those who are busy preparing a Thanksgiving feast. I've said it before and I will say it again. Mise en place, mise en place, mise en place. Prepare yourself and your workspace before you begin to make sure you can fit it all in. When I ran my own bakery, I liked to think of time as a game of Tetris. Write down all of the steps involved in the dishes that you plan to cook and about how long you expect them to take. Instead of just writing, make mashed potatoes, write, peel and chop potatoes, 10 minutes active. Boil potatoes, 20 minutes passive. Mashed potatoes, 10 minutes active. Once you've got all the steps for your different dishes written out, you can figure out how to multitask. The passive potato boiling time is perfect for snapping the ends off all of your green beans. It might feel like a lot of work up front, but this extra step will help eliminate so much stress when you get started. No more panicking because four dishes need the oven at the exact same time, all at a different temperature. A little bonus tip, keep a running list of small tasks that you can easily pass on to kids or cousins or anyone who pokes their head in and asks how they can help. Now, I'm guessing you've got the lineup of regular Thanksgiving dishes you make each year. Mom's stuffing, grandma's pie, and Uncle Gary's deep fried turkey. 
A great way to think about the stories that we tell in our Thanksgiving meal is to consider adding one more dish. Look for a recipe developed by an indigenous chef. The Sioux Chef Cookbook by Sean Sherman is a great place to start. Or try finding a recipe developed by an indigenous cook local to your own area. Use the dish to honor the vibrant food and farming culture that thrived on your land before the colonists arrived in the Americas. Let this be the first step in telling a more honest story about where we've been and who we want to become. And now to close, a prayer of confession before giving thanks. Most merciful God, we come to you in the tension of this Thanksgiving day. We confess that we, as individuals and as a collective whole, have sinned against you and your creation in thought, word, and deed. We have not told the whole story of this land on which we live, the people who tended it for generations before, or how it was taken away. We cannot love you with our whole heart if we do not love what your hands have made, and we cannot love your creation if we do not know the pain inflicted in your name. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. Guide us in learning a more truthful story of this nation in which we reside, this land on which we rely for sustenance and for joy. Amen. Kitchen Meditations is brought to you by Edible Theology, where the communion table meets the dinner table. Learn more and sign up for our weekly newsletter at edibletheology.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at Edible Theology. A huge thank you to my assistant, Hannah Hargrave, and to our producers, Nick Thompson and Richard Clark at Area Code, who made this podcast possible. We would love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes, then share this episode with your friends. Your help ensures that others discover this podcast too. <laughs>